Hello again, this is the Pride On podcast. This Pride season is unusual, and it's unlike any other we're likely to ever experience. But don't worry, we're the Civil Service LGBT Plus Network, and we're here to keep Pride On. On this podcast, you'll hear from LGBT Plus civil servants talking about their lives, work, and what Pride means to them. Hi there, welcome back to the Pride On podcast. My name is John Peart and I'm one of your hosts for this podcast. Today you'll hear me talking to Keela Shackle-Smith, who's a diversity and inclusion manager in the Cabinet Office, and we talk about life as a parent in the pandemic, and more widely about the process of having a baby when you're a same-sex couple. Let's get started. Hi there, Keela. Welcome to the Pride On podcast. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really pleased to join. Thank you. You're here to talk to us today about your experiences with Pride, but also about things relating to uh, LGBT parenting. But before we get into all of that, why don't you start by telling us where you work, what you do and kind of what your role is in the civil service? Sure. So I'm a diversity and inclusion manager in the Cabinet Office. I'm actually um, seconded from the Environment Agency at the moment for a year. I co-founded the Women's Network in the Environment Agency. I co-founded the Cross-Government Women's Network as well. So I, I basically really love a network. And of course, you were awarded a uh, MBE for that work with the Women's Network, weren't you? I'm still pinching myself about that, to be honest. It just doesn't feel real. And it was 2018. So so indeed, I, I was awarded uh, an MBE in the Birthday Honours in 2018 for my work for co-founding the Women's Network and the, and the Cross-Government Women's Network as well. And in that year, I was leading the Civil Service Suffrage Centenary celebrations. Certainly the best year of my entire career. I absolutely loved it. So that was just an icing on the cake. But yeah, still pinching myself that I I do actually have that honour. It, it still doesn't feel real. So what are the things aside from the centenary celebrations that you're probably most proud of having done some of that work with the Women's Network? I would say that co-founding the Women's Network, I've worked with some phenomenal people. And the thing that I, I love about networks is that you're working with volunteers. This isn't their day job. They go over and above their day job for the good and because of, of their passion for equality. I just love working with volunteers and coming up with really innovative ideas because in networks, we don't have time. Um, everyone is, is really squashed for time. So we become really, really super innovative in, in what we do, whether it's a, it's a campaign, whether it's setting up a mentoring program. So in the Women's Network, um, one of the first things we ever did was set up a mentoring program. But this was back in 2010 when actually mentoring wasn't thought about so much, but volunteers in the network set it up within three months of actually getting up and running and that's what I love about networks is that it's all about the volunteers so that's what I'm most proud of is is actually all of the volunteers that I've had the privilege to work with over the years and and many of them have become friends as well. I think we can all appreciate the role that volunteers play given the huge contributions that volunteers have to all of our cross-government networks actually it's kind of the backbone of our diversity inclusion agenda really. 
let's turn to something slightly more contemporaneous and uh, let's talk about Pride. So you obviously will know, as will everybody else listening to this, that things are a bit weird and uh, the coronavirus has kind of put the kibosh on lots of the normal Pride celebrations. If this wasn't all happening and we weren't all locked in our houses like prisoners, how would you be celebrating? I've been really reflecting on this because... June has become like a little bit of a slump for me for lots of reasons. But um, actually, do you know what? I, I need Pride. I really do need it, which is why I've uh, volunteered for Pride on this year, because I realised that actually I, I need Pride. So how would I be celebrating? I've realised that every Pride I've attended is just so different. I've, I've attended Prides in the UK. I've, tra- I've travelled as well to different Prides. Uh, I went to Reykjavik Pride last year um, because uh, Ali and I actually got married in Iceland in, in taking our daughter to Reykjavik Pride for her first birthday or something that we really, really wanted to do. So I've been to Prides abroad. I've been to Prides in the UK. But no two are the same. I would say in my, in my younger years, um, I did go for weekends away with friends. We would watch the parade. And then... It merged into something that my mum was really, really keen on. My mum absolutely loved going to Pride. So so my mum would go and we would take my nieces and we would go just the four of us. And then actually a few years down the line, mum would go without me. She just loved Pride so much. So she would just take my nieces along. And uh, so mum, mum loved Pride as well. And I've walked in, in parades behind the Environment Agency banner. I've walked with them. Um, civil service LGBT plus network and I would say the most the, the biggest memory I do have is that I'm a brownie leader uh, with girl guiding and walking with girl guiding for the first time a few years back under that banner just sent such a positive message for me as a, a an LGBT plus person and their uh, inclusion and what they do for inclusion. So walking with Girl Guiding with the red arrows going in overhead is a, a memory I, I will always treasure. So I've so every pride is different. So some of them I'm in the parades, some of them I'm watching in the parade. Sometimes I'm, I'm actually doing the external, you know, the, the fringe events. In the last year, I went to the family area. I'd never been to the family area of, of prides before uh, for London Pride. And it was, it was great. It was, it was really lovely. And that was uh, Raker's first pride my daughter's first pride so whilst every pride is different this year is going to be very different isn't it and what is it that you're planning with your family with your daughter with your wife to take part in in your own little way in your house so behind me right now that, that you can't see I have my uh, I have my flags behind me they are my backdrop for for pride month um I have been volunteering with pride on as well so tomorrow I am going to be hosting a bake along uh, where we're going to be making uh, rainbow cupcakes I've also been doing the wars of pride as well which is asking anyone who's creative or anyone with children to decorate a wall with the pride scene so I've done mine um, and mine's up on the on the website um, so I've been volunteering there and with uh, my wife and uh, Reka. Reka is adorned with lots of rainbows <laughs> so we've got a, a new rainbow uh, cardigan for her in the post that should be coming uh, shortly uh, and we have lots of flags and, and things at home so uh, yeah so pride but in a, a different way. Sounds like you brought the entire parade inside the house. 
<laughs> we have. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I might try that. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your family unit? So you've already mentioned that you're married and that you've got a daughter. Tell us a little bit about them. So indeed, we were, were, I'm married to Ali. Uh, we got married in Iceland on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th, just because we could that year. Uh, Reka was born in 2018. We went through a donor insemination. It took two years and five different rounds as well. It wasn't envisaged that uh, I wouldn't be carrying. If anything, I really wanted to carry our baby, but I was advised not to. Um, so Ali uh, went through yeah five rounds. And I would say if anyone has been through the, the IVF or, or donor insemination before, and people always say it's a roller coaster, and it really, really is. So many rounds of just hope and then sadness or, or just... Yeah, it's 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 a constant and life just became so, so routine. And that's even before we got to the pregnancy stage as well. It took a long, long time to, to conceive Reka. Um, but then but then we found out that Ali was pregnant and then Reka was born in 2018. You mentioned uh, Ali was carrying there. Ali's not a civil servant, are they? No, 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 Ali's not. I would say as well that um, Ali is uh, identifies as non-binary. So I do use terms um, like wife, she, her. But actually, Ali prefers to be known as they and them. Yeah, so actually through throughout the pregnancy, um, we were very, very conscious of Ali being non-binary throughout. In, in actually, in our antenatal classes, uh, that was something that did really quite concern us because... By, by going there, we were well. We had to come out to them first of all, even getting through the door, because we do live in a very small market town, um, and we were thinking, "Gosh, there's not going to be other same-sex couples there." So it was a bit of a, a nervous time going to antenatal classes. But I would say our our teacher was phenomenal. So very, very early on, on that first session, we said to them about Ali being non-binary. We said to them about how we we had two years before we got to pregnancy. And our teacher was amazing at language. So we chose the language of, of birth mother and partner. That was comfortable for both of us. And our teacher never, ever slipped up in that language. That was the language that they used throughout. It wasn't mums and dads. It was the lang they used that language. We just felt so included because of that. And we did explain that I wanted to carry. And so the teacher actually let me attend every single session, because the, there is a, a partner-only session and there is a birth mother-only session. But I was allowed to go to all sessions to make sure that I was included because of the fact that I did want to carry but couldn't. So generally during the pregnancy, was there anything that you experienced that um, was positive, negative? How, how supported did you feel by the civil service as a kind of expectant mother? So I was incredibly supported. I remember telling my boss for the first time who was just overjoyed because actually uh, my boss didn't even know we were we were going through fertility treatment at the time. And then I had to then backtrack and say about our fertility journey uh, to get to that point. And they were incredibly, incredibly supportive. Um, did I feel supported? Absolutely. So we talked about different options because I took shared parental leave. And so we talked about that and, and no hurdles whatsoever. Well, so let's talk about shared parental leave. How, how was that? What's, what was that experience like? 
Oh, I loved shared parental leave. So so how we did it, Rekha was born. Ali had four weeks maternity leave before that. I then had two weeks uh, paternity leave. Um, there's a whole issue around that language that I wasn't comfortable with for me um, taking paternity leave. But, but I was allowed two weeks paternity leave. So I took my two weeks paternity leave. I then added on three weeks annual leave. So I had so we had five weeks together, which was which was phenomenal and such a treasured time. Then I went back to work. I went back to work full time. We split our shared parental leave six months each, like directly at six months down the line um, to, to be equal. So Ali and I have this thing about equality of life and just equality of parenting as well. When we're not equal at home in our home life, it, it's, it's uneasy for us. So shared parental leave was going to be split directly down the middle. So we had six months each. Something that we did, it did uh, occur to me partway through was that Oh gosh, like Ali had been having Rekha for like full time. I hadn't. So I needed a bit like a, I needed a handover period. So we had this buffer zone at Christmas time where both of us were off again. And we had four weeks then where we were both off. So that was like my extended handover uh, of Rekha. And then I uh, went on shared parental leave and Ali went back to work full time. And so throughout that process and that arc, were there any issues that you experienced, any prejudices or discriminations or, or kind of massive positives because you were LGBT that you that you went through? The first one was actually breastfeeding. It did become a little bit of an issue, actually, certainly around being LGBT in the in those early days, because Ali and I had researched um, something called combination feeding where we would really try to do breastfeeding, but actually uh, it was important for us, well, important for, for me um, to be able to feed her as well. I would say it, it wasn't a preferred method at all, um, and we, were, we kept being advised not to. I'm so glad we just pushed through because I'm not sure people understood the importance of me doing it as well. We would always be guided by Reka though. So, so if Reka didn't, like, get on with breastfeeding then we would just be guided by her and if she didn't get on with combination feeding where I'd be feeding her uh, bottles as well then we would stop it so we were guided by her but we were so thrilled that actually she really grasped onto combination feeding and and that was just so important for us so I'm, I'm really pleased that happened but I will say that people a lot of people didn't understand why we wanted to do that and actually kept trying to push us down one route or the other route um but we didn't want to do that. So, but we researched that being a same-sex couple. The second thing was the switchover. So after the six months, I then went to all of the baby groups. And I realized then actually by me going to them, I then had to have these conversations again and again and again. I had to come out every single time. I had to out Ali as well. Um, and it was it was actually quite tiring. Um, and then we had to have lots of conversations about the insemination and things like that. That, that's different compared to, to, to other types of families. So the, the switcher, it, it wasn't a problem, but it was just getting quite tiring about having to switch over and people surprised as to like, Rekha's come with someone completely different. Who are you? So that, that, was, that was quite tiring. And the other thing, um, I, if I could go back to, it's about Ali and misgendering as well. So, so I think there was a lot of misgendering going on during our, our shared parental leave. But I would say that 
we did have Ali's non-binary status on our birth plan and the midwife actually read that, got it, followed it to the T and phenomenal. In that high pressure <laughs> environment, um, the midwife got it. And and that was that was something that sticks in both of our heads that actually it was it wasn't a thing for her. She was like, Yeah, I get it. This is what you want, this is what you don't want, fine. And just got on with it. So uh that was something incredibly positive. Now Rick is two, you're parenting in the middle of a global pandemic. How have you found that? It's very interesting having a toddler <laughs> twenty-four hours a day. So It's changed definitely from the start of lockdown. We were both working our four day weeks and it was just exhausting. Toddlers are absolutely exhausting. It's, it's not, it's not an age where we can give them an activity and leave her to it. That, that's not the case at all. So we actually have, you know, we can't be on a call while taking care of her. So at the start of the pandemic, like start of lockdown, it was hard. And I'm not going to lie, it was incredibly hard to juggle between the two of us working. And we both really like to be productive and we've got to achieve stuff every day. And when you can't do that because, you know, we're taking we're caring at the same time and we have to give her attention. Um, and it was it was hard in those first four weeks. Um, Ali was then furloughed. Um, and, and for us, that's... Um, that's worked so so well for us right now because of that how juggling um having a toddler at home at the same time so currently uh Reka is outside I think finding snails so so Ali is furloughed at the moment so it, it's definitely changed but it's been really lovely to see the changes in Reka as well which we probably wouldn't have seen before so she's developing language at the moment and she repeats everything you say but it's so lovely to just watch her learn and I'm absolutely loving that time. So so I'm looking at the positives through throughout this lockdown as well. And a positive is I've seen so many changes in her that I probably wouldn't have seen if she was at nursery and I was I was working four days a week. So there's lots of positives out of this as well. Well, that's probably a positive note to end on that whilst things are a bit weird right now, at least you've been able to find some moments of joy and happiness with uh, your family during the pandemic. So thank you, Keela, for spending some time talking to me today about your life and about your family. And I hope you stay safe. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it and happy Pride to everybody. That's the end of this episode of the Pride On podcast. Thank you to Keela Shackle-Smith for joining me on this episode. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find out more about the Civil Service LGBT Plus Network on our website. Just visit www.civilservice.lgbt and add slash pride for all the latest information about this year's Pride On activities. Until next time, this has been the Pride On Podcast. Thank you for listening.